Welcome to Cinemakers, Amy Heckerling. This is episode 48, National Lampoon's European Vacation from 1985. I'm Kara Galo-Regan. I'm Mike Manzi. And I'm Jeremy Lewandowski. And Mike, when we started Cinemakers, I think there was a thought. Let's just watch good movies from good directors. And I've got to tell you, I mean, you know, there were some up and downs in Soderbergh, to be sure. We hit a few snares. But for the most part, overall really good. But... Coming off Johnny Dangerously, having just watched European Vacation, looking down the barrel of two talking baby movies <laughs> that I've never seen before. What are we doing? What is what is happening here? You guys, I am so sorry. This is a goddamn nightmare. Yes, I'm with you on this one, but I like Johnny Dangerously, and I mean, I'll just go ahead. I like talking baby movies, so <laughs> I'm looking forward to Clueless. I think I think the average is going to be good by the end of this run. We're going to be happy. We always hit a few bumps in the road, but yeah, I mean, I think we're getting most of them over early, so at least we have that going I'm not for sure it. that's true. <laughs> I just have this fear. You know, I've seen the two movies before we started this. I'd seen Fast Times and Clueless. I know I really like both of those. I'm worried I'm going to go over for the rest of them. I'm already over for two. You know, I, I like this one less than Johnny Dangerously. At we least I Travolta laughed a couple times there. We got Bruce Willis. Travolta. I'm actually I don't, I don't know uh, anything about those movies. Relieved that this one is done. This was actually the one that I was dreading the most. Even though I know that there are some stinkers coming up, I'm just glad that this will be behind us. Kara, don't tell me that. Don't tell me that there's more stinkers coming up, but all right. They're not as bad as this, right? I mean, even, I mean, I liked this as a kid, and I'm wondering what the hell was I thinking back then, but then I was like, oh, I was just a stupid kid. I didn't really know the difference, but looking back, I was kind of shocked. I'm sure Kara knows this, because I think Kara reads I'm to be like I do, but like, not only is this movie a, a mess on screen, but it sounds like the making of was equally disastrous. Oh, that, that was pretty clear from watching it. Amy Heckerling and Chevy Chase did not get along, so there's that. The daughter in this movie died of diabetes 12 years after this was Whoa. made. No, um, really? Yeah. Yeah, she had type 1 diabetes, so that scene where she, her nightmare scene where she's like stuffing her face full of food, they had to be like super careful that she didn't swallow any of it because it could have been like a serious medical situation. Yeah. Why even, I don't even understand that plot line. It's crazy. I don't either, because it like comes up over and over again, her complicated relationship with food. And like, granted, you know, plenty of teenage girls have a complicated relationship with food. I certainly did. But then learning that this actress actually had type 1 diabetes, like really cast a shadow over that and made it yeah. significantly worse. It is a mess on screen. I mean, it's not, it's not funny. It's not fun to watch it what happened well i mean chevy chase in general is is not a great dude right nope so that i when i read that they had not gotten along i was not particularly surprised by that hurricane chevy and they shot across europe yeah. too right so that couldn't have helped which either, like under the know? best of circumstances i'm sure is a, like a just a logistical nightmare you know i saw like one of the things that most disappointed me was that I saw in the credits and the opening credits on IMDb story by John Hughes written by John Hughes he had nothing to do with it he didn't even know this was coming out until he saw an ad for it on TV like this is not his movie the guy Robert Klein just wrote this movie gave John Hughes the writing credit because of the characters Amy Hackerling gave some input on things but like I was expecting no not that not that all John Hughes movies are good but like they're all better than this 
Yeah, and the first one, right, is based off an article he wrote, you know, experiences with growing up on the road with his family and traveling and stuff. So it had like it had like a touch of realism and, I don't know, some kind of irony to that. And then this one is just all over the map. Like, I think that's another thing. Like, the success of the first one, trying to live up to that as well, must have been a lot of pressure. And then just not having the talent of, in the writing, you know, if they did get John Hughes back, maybe it would have been successful, but... Oh, boy. It's just, you know, I saw one review on Letterboxd that said this is why... Europeans hate Americans. Or no, it wasn't on Letterboxd. It was just somewhere. It was just like, this is why Europeans hate Americans, because it's this just nightmare. I, I don't even know. Like, there's so little that's enjoyable about this. Like, I think it's supposed to be just pure fun from start to finish. Like, it's supposed to be like a lighthearted, breezy movie. And man, like, you know, I, I, I kind of wish... Not that I... Okay, let me take a step back. This movie is filled with sexual misconduct. Like, across the board. Oh my god. From, like, 30 seconds into it. And... I kind of, like, I at least appreciated, it was icky, but I appreciated the pig and a poke, the host making out with the daughter and making out with the wife. Like, I understand what they're going for there. The Richard Dawson joke. It's still uncomfortable. I mean, could you explain that to me? Because I did not. Yeah. Back in the day, Family Feud, there was a host named Richard Dawson, and he would come out and every single female contestant, he would give them a kiss. Kiss on the mouth, kiss on the cheek. He would just hit on them ruthlessly, endlessly. Yeah. Ugh. And he's um, kind of a slime ball now that you yeah. look back at it. But at the time, like, people loved him, you know? It was his shtick. And uh, this is this is uh, a gag on that, for sure. Uh, okay. I did not have that context. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, that's why, you know, it's... If you don't know that, it is very uncomfortable. But at the same time, like, I knew what they were making fun of. And I was like, oh, that's like a, that's like a specific kind of satire. The rest of this, though, doesn't feel like that. It just looks like a couple of idiots running around, or really one idiot mm-hmm. running around Europe, embarrassing himself and his mm-hmm. family. And his country. Without any kind of, like, humor or point of view. Yeah. And it's it's disappointing, again, coming two movies after Fast Times. Like, this is the last one, I think, based on what I looked up last time while we were recording, the last one that Amy Hackerling just did not straight up write. So I'm glad that we're, this is out of our system. But I just wish that there was more here in terms of a point like like not the movies all have to have a reason for being it could just be like a fun movie but you know i i think that there is the potential for commentary or whatever and there's just none of it i don't think but also i read that this is the first national lampoon that did not get an r rating which made sense because as i was watching it i was like i expected there to be more boobs and i feel like if they had leaned into like that aspect of it it maybe would have been less bad. like it just doesn't really like fully do anything other than show how horrifying Americans act when they're abroad, you know, but like not in a very funny or in- interesting or poignant way. Yeah, the movie just feels like there's a lack of commitment for me. Like, they're just not committing to, like, any of this stuff. Like, the first one for me works so well because, like, it's the journey to Wally World, you know? Like, there's a destination, there's a place they're trying to get to there. This one just feels aimless, really. Uh, Especially in, like, the very end when the kidnapping plot kicks into gear. Like, but that's your movie. Like, the whole idea, like, they should have gotten to Europe and then the kidnapping should have happened at the end of the first act or something. Then they'd have to travel across Europe to catch, you know... whatever but that's what i'm saying like there's no vision here it's just like bit after bit after bit uh there's like four or five bits that i kind of like but you know overall like it's nothing cohesive nothing comes together yeah it's not really it's not saying anything really other than ugly american to me oh i've never so i've never seen any of these except for 
Christmas Vacation. I think I saw that once, and I remember none of it. And weirdly, Mike, didn't you say that you're going to be releasing your Third Time to Charm episode about that movie also today, as this comes out? We didn't plan it like this, it just sort of, sort of so happened. Right, yeah. Brian's going to be on that episode from High School Slumber Party. But yeah, I had, I had that plan before we even started heckling, so it was kind of funny how this lined up. So yeah, check that out after you check this out. But I know about Wally World, like I know sort of the point of that. And like I, I think I said either on mic or off mic in the last episode, I've seen the remake of Vacation, which should definitely the count what? for things. There's a. Hmm? <laughs> we talked about this. The, the one with Jason Sudeikis and Jennifer Aniston. You know, you know. Stop. Yeah, I know. I know. I'm joking. But you know what? Stop being a goof. You're such such a Chevy Chase. After watching this one, I should really give that one a shot, you know, because, like, it can't be worse, right? (laughs) Could it? (laughs) Couldn't be worse than this. It's better. It is, I mean, it's not good, but it also comes from a place where I just prefer modern movies and I prefer modern actors. And not saying that they're better, just what my brain opts for. And there's stuff in there that is very dumb, but there's also stuff in there that I actually enjoy. That movie's almost worth it for one, not really a blooper, kind of an outtake or something in the in the closing credits. Don't want to spoil it, but just stay tuned for that. I don't really care about any of the people here. Um, you know, I like Chevy Chase in things. Like, I love Community, but also, you know, stories from the set of Community just sounds like an asshole. Yeah, I like him in SNL, but stories of SNL just make him sound like an asshole, unfortunately. <laughs> I, I like Beverly D'Angelo, but she's not given very much to do in this one. She's great in the other ones, but here, she's just, there's nothing. So what do you say? Like, watch it for Eric Idle to pop up? Like, I... <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was fun. I, I appreci- Well, I appreciated it when it happened the first time, and then when it kept happening, and there wasn't any spurting blood, I was like, come on, why are we doing this? <laughs> but Beverly D'Angelo, she's so funny, especially when she does the bah, bah, bah thing. And like, those are the only times in this movie they like let her be funny. And it's a bummer. So apparently Anthony Michael Hall, who was, I guess, in the first one. Is this is this the second one in the series? Yeah. So it's vacation, European vacation, Christmas vacation. So and they recast the kids every time. Is that true? Mm-hmm. Yeah, even in the fourth one, like, uh, Ethan Embry is the son. Oh, okay. So apparently Anthony Michael Hall did not want to do this one. He he did Weird Science and said, which, for the record, right decision. And so instead of, like, offering the role to the daughter from the first movie, Dana Barron, she just wasn't asked to reprise the role. So, like, I think that's a weird, again, you know, sexism in Hollywood, if you will, but I think it's just, like, a dumb, weird decision, like, oh, he doesn't want to do it, so, like, let's just recast both of them i don't know like there could have been a funny joke like oh you're not the brother i remember or something but like it's just brand new kids and they don't make any note of it like it's just it's strange yeah and then eventually like they made that a running gag right so like they at least you know they kept up that thing so no other kids ever come back like in the next one it's jonathan galecki and juliette lewis in the third one and yeah they keep they keep switching that up so at least they kept that joke running but i i agree with you it would have been funnier if maybe they just recast the brother the whole time and they kept the same daughter throughout it all like that could have been even funnier man oh man so i have one more highlight that (laughs) was really good i and i'm always a sucker for anything stonehenge really but i just love this stonehenge joke in this movie i mean it's like the dollar joke in a million ways to die in the west for me you know it's like almost wait no no no, i can't i will give you the dollar joke i think the dollar joke is great this is just it's i think it's just so predictable from the jump or no or maybe maybe it's just been parodied by things 
No, not, I don't know. I mean, I've seen it so many times, but it just seems so obvious in that I can't believe maybe it hadn't been done before this, you know, that like Mel Brooks didn't think of that because like when you, when you see the joke that they fall like dominoes, like it's just like makes perfect sense. So I don't know. I really love that moment though. (laughs) Even today, like that's something for me that held up. Did you know that the son in this is Blake Lively's half brother? I hadn't, but I did read that on IMDb. I've seen him in a bunch of stuff. He's in Night of the Creeps and a couple other movies, and like he's he had kind of a '80s teen career. And then Audrey's boyfriend. Did you recognize him? No. It's Johnny from Karate Kid. Oh, huh. I think Blake Lively also has like an, uh, an older half sister, which I didn't know that she had any of these relations. And then I heard that she was on a set. There was some podcast I was listening to because this guy is, I think, much older than her, right? Oh, this sounds familiar. Yeah, who was just talking? One of our shows was just talking about this. Was it? Hold on. It sounds like something that maybe Brian and Shawnee brought up on the Teen Witch thing. Robin Lively? I think it was Robin Lively. Yeah, the Teen Witch. Teen Witch herself. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yes. Also, Robin Lively from Twin Peaks. Who did she play on Twin Peaks? Oh, she was the babe who wins the uh, Miss Twin Peaks, then marries the old guy who dies. Yes. You know, I think the, the universe works in mysterious ways where I didn't realize that Blake Lively had any siblings. And then all of a sudden, two podcast related things in the span of a week, right? Is like, or five days even, is like, hey, she's got these two people. So just, you know, it, it's weird. That's my way of saying I don't want to talk about this movie anymore. There's that scene where uh, he's making it with a girl in Germany and she just takes her boobs out because I guess it's a, a National Anthem movie. I really like that scene, though, when Clark's doing the, um, like, the dance in the Lederhosen and stuff. Like, I thought that was a pretty good gag, too. But that's it. But apparently uh, she was 21 and he was 17, so they were in America. That would have been illegal. So that's a thing to note, I guess. There's a lot of things in this that, like, the daughter, Dana Hill, was 21, so when she makes out with the game show host, it's not super icky, but she's still playing a 14-year-old, so that's kind of icky. And she looks like a child in that pig costume. Yeah. She's supposed to be 14 in this movie? Yeah, that's what IMDb says. Oh, wow. I thought they were, like, definitely 16 and 18. Like, she was sweet 16, had had her, you know what I'm saying? Like, she was of that age, and then he was about to graduate or something, but whoa. I did not, because then later in the movie, they're like, can't we just, like, explore Rome on our own? And and the mom's like, Clark, let the kids go, like, wander aimlessly through Rome. And Clark's like, all right, okay, have it your way. I'm like, what? I also, yeah, I also feel like at the beginning of the movie, there's, like, a glimmer of hope that the kids might not go with them to Europe, and I feel like, as a 14-year-old, that's a, probably a little too young to really have a say in, like, when and where you go on vacation, you know, but... Maybe not. I don't know. I went to Europe with my family when I was approximately 14, maybe 13, maybe 12. And let me tell you, I had no say in where we went. Exactly. Man. Did you enjoy it? Did you have a good time? Um, I enjoyed parts of it. I enjoyed the art museums. But my dad was like a big war guy, just like into war. I don't know. So we spent a lot of time in like Normandy and at other various war monuments and museums and that I didn't find particularly interesting. But the Louvre scene in this movie is actually really great. It's really just like a montage um, of them just like racing through the museum. And that's really how it feels when you're there because you're like, there's so much shit in here and I have to see all of it and we only have this much time. So I, I remember that feeling a lot and I thought that Heckerling captured that really well 
in that scene. I think she also, in that similar way, captures a thing that I am probably guilty of, but would like not to be. But at the end, when Chevy Chase is exploring on his own and he sees that one statue, and like with a smug sense of satisfaction, he like checks it off his list, like, oh, I saw this. Like, you know, you're not, you're not taking the time to appreciate what you see. You're just like, right, you're just checking it off a list. Oh, I saw that or whatever. And then, you know, the same thing with like the honeymoon couple who was just like fucking the entire time. Like, oh, we've seen so much more of Europe than them. Like, I can't believe we're doing this so much better than they are but yeah and that sense of like there's an itinerary and there is a schedule and we are going to see all of it and we are going to do it when i said we're going to do it there was a lot of that when i was on vacation with my family which was why i was dreading seeing this movie because i was like this has all of my least favorite things stressful family situations group travel americans acting like assholes abroad (laughs) it just stressed me out the entire time yeah Also, father ignoring input of family and wife, just over and over again. Another thing that I don't appreciate. But the dream sequences, I thought, were really great. Heckerling does a hell of a dream sequence, I think. That's my hypothesis for the rest of the podcast. We'll see how it goes. Hell of a dream sequence. All right, I like that. But I love Clark's is my favorite. (laughs) Remember that as a kid. I mean, I haven't even seen Sound the Music yet. It's one of my, on on the big list that hasn't been checked off yet. I just saw it this year. It's amazing. It's so good. I was not expecting to like it as much as I did, and I loved it so much. If you don't put in the second VHS tape, you might not even know that there's Nazis. Yeah. That's funny. When when I first saw Gone with the Wind, (laughs) I only watched the second tape, and I didn't know, like, I missed the whole pre-war stuff, so... Wow, that's really grim. Yeah, it was it was really weird. Anyway. Yeah, let's see here. What else did I write down? Oh, I got one. Yeah. So at the end when Rusty meets the girl from California, that's Moonbeam Zappa. Oh, I knew I saw her name in there. I didn't know who she was. Okay, cool. She's the original Valley Girl. So Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. Moon unit. Oh, Moon Unit. Sorry. I, I think it's it moon, moon Unit, right? Is it Moon Unit? Yeah, she's only credited as Moon. It might be Moonbeam Unit. Hold on. Moon Unit Zappa. Yeah. Uh, pig in the Poke. Should we talk about Pig in the Poke, where they're just dressed as pigs? Because that's the art for this episode. We, we sort of mentioned it briefly before, but Pig in the Poke. People love it. So the, the host is like the original Gomez. Gomez Adams from the Adams family. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. From the TV show. Yeah, John Aston. So, like, that's Sean Aston's dad, and, you know, he was Sam, Sam from, like, Lord of the Rings and everything. Uh, but he's great. Very cool. I don't know that. He's, uh, he's a great character actor through the years. He's in, like, some of the Killer Tomato movies. And then Paul Bartell is the father of the other family, who used to work with Roger Corman and makes great B-movies. And, yeah, check out his films. They're crazy. I think that's probably why, you know why I don't like, not that I don't like older movies, I do really like older movies, but like why I sort of connect with more, with newer movies more is because like you have the kind of recall and recognition of those people that I just don't. You know what I mean? Like it's fun for me to see new actors that I know in a bunch of stuff. I just don't know, like even if I recognize them, I don't know that I would be able to know what they're from. You know what I mean? Like it's this, just a whole different era. What I'm saying, Mike, is that you're old. Yeah, well, you know, I'm leaning into that from now on. I mean, right? <laughs> yeah, resident historian. We know it. Yeah, there's no way to, like, get younger, so what? why even try at this point? Exactly. Yeah, I'm owning, I'm owning it. Own your age, people. <laughs> I love it. The Wet Hot Wife, which is a thing in this movie. 
Oh, God. Yeah, as a kid, I had no clue what was going on with like, that whole sequence. I was like, what? Huh? <laughs> Do you think this is another movie that you think that you... Did you see this movie before I was born? Oh, yeah, definitely. So you saw this in the first, like, two or three years it came out? Oh, yeah, for sure. I saw, I saw it before I was 10. Yeah. Okay, so, man. Because that's two movies in a row that you saw before I was even born. It's just... It's 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 crazy. It's We're living in a weird era, Kara. I suppose so. I guess this is what happens, Joey, when we break the rule of, like, modern movies, I guess. You know, when we go yeah. before 1990, <laughs> this is going to happen more and more often. Can you ex- can either of you explain to me what the joke is that European people are apparently so okay with getting into car accidents? Is it just that, like, we're monsters and they're nice? Like, I don't, like, what, like... What? No, I think it's more, like... Americans wreaking havoc around the world thoughtlessly without even bothering to learn the the rules or customs of other places. So the first car accident, is that the one with Eric Idle or like the first or second one? No, but they, they're all in London. So I thought the joke was that Londoners are just ultra polite. Yeah, the British people are just super polite and they drive on the other side of the road. So he's driving on the wrong side of the road and that sort of thing. A few other, like in a couple of the other countries, the car that they're driving definitely has mishaps and crashes into things, but they're not necessarily accidents with other people. I just thought it was just incredible how far they could stretch driving on the wrong side of the road. It's like you get you get it in one or two strokes, three at the most, but like, I mean, <laughs> it's like half the movie is he can't drive on the right side of the road. And it's like, oh, I know, we get it. That's like the easiest joke you can make. So that was a bit exhausting. Yeah. Because, I mean, like, in terms of the, I guess, you know, the, the European or Americans not learning the customs, like, he tries, like, there's the reverse joke, I guess, where he tries to speak French, he tries to be that guy to the to the waiter, and the waiter's just an asshole to him. And that's just like, uh, you know, he, like, whether he tries or doesn't try, it's a joke? Well, I feel like the movie doesn't want to pull any punches, like, they want to give it to everybody, but it's not, it's, it's not balance like because right after that they make a joke about how french food is just heated up microwave dinners or whatever with a little you know they put it on a nice plate and put a flag in it which is so not true the food there is amazing (laughs) baguettes right uh so it's hard to tell where they're aiming and what the target is all the time and so i'm definitely a little confused yeah, like, I don't know if there's too many things that they're trying to do or not enough. You know what I mean? Like, it feels like sometimes they're trying to do too many things at once, and sometimes they're just like, hey, let's just dwell on the same joke over and over and over again. Yeah. I don't know. I think I'm trying to think of what makes, like, the first one so successful, and it's definitely, like, the family dynamic and the relations between the family and what they put each other through, getting, like, getting to know each other on a different level in that close quarters over the course of, like, a family trip. And, and there's just much better chemistry between the cast, I think, frankly, quite honestly. And the writing is far superior. Uh, and it's, like, based on an act- on some actual events and things. So it's just unfortunate that nothing is clicking, you know, because there's the formula. It's not, it's not like the formula's fault, per se. Like, I feel like this could work, and it works a little better to a degree when you get a little later down the line with, like, Eurotrip and stuff, you know, heaven forbid, but, um, you know, I'm saying, like, this could work, and that's another level of frustration that we find from time to time when doing movies that are are not working. Like, I feel, like, aside from a few moments here, it just feels like they don't give a shit about each other. Not that they don't like each other, but they don't just, they don't give a shit about each other. Like, there is the moment where they all dress in the crazy, I guess, German outfits? I don't remember what they are, maybe Roman outfits? Yeah, that's in Rome. I love those outfits. <laughs> 
Right. Like, and that feels like they're actually like a sort of a family unit that cares about each other there. You know what I mean? Like that they're enjoying each other's company. But for the most part, it just feels like they're just all together and they don't like have any kind of interconnectivity with, you know, one another. Not that you have to love your family, but just like, it's like they don't even like know them or like want to spend time. It's just weird. And I think that's where it falls short. Like there's no heart, if you will. I kind of thought that was on purpose, but maybe that's me projecting. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, it not having heart, I think, is a good way to put it. You don't have to have, like, the whole thing be, like, where they all love each other, they're all getting along, because, like, obviously the, the comedy comes from conflict, but, like, I think I need a little bit more. Like, it's just sort of like, hey, they're a family, they love each other, they love each other. you know, we know that that's established. So now the, the comedy is going to be like, look, they're not getting along. I actually expect them to not get along a lot more than they actually did in the movie. I haven't seen the other ones. I've, like, I've seen pieces of them like on cable so i was expecting there to be like a lot more inter-family conflict and yelling i was glad that there wasn't because that would have been even more stressful again just like not really committing to to any one thing yeah i feel like with the first one and even with christmas vacation like by the end of it there's a sense that they've bonded a little more you know that they've been through something and come out the other end together and now they're like a stronger unit a stronger moon unit <laughs> zappa and in this one i don't get that sense like there, there's no real like adversity that they're like trying to overcome as a family that'll get them to grow tighter together or anything and like sort of a prime example of how i think this movie fails is like the incident in germany where they're gonna like hang clark for starting a brawl at oktoberfest and they get away from that and they get on a train and instead of like being like oh i'm so glad we're safe and like this and that and like let's you know let's be together and all this like they bicker and they're like yelling at each other and then they're like okay no one talk to each other until we get to the next country and then it's sort of that annoying gag where everyone's making rude noises and making noise at each other and and so like that's kind of weird that it's sort of got like a little more of like a mean twist to it than i was expecting coming back to it this time like you know i felt like that was sort of a missed opportunity to make more of um i don't know a lighthearted joke as opposed to like a mean-spirited joke or something i don't know but like those are the types of moments that they should be celebrating and bonding over from getting away with their lives and not like angry at each other for wanting them having almost caused the other one to get killed or something yeah did you see rusty's wearing checkered vans I wonder if they got free vans after making them so popular in the first movie. I wonder if Heckerling just has like a, a closet, closet full of them. Yeah. With like every size is just like. One thing I did like about this is that, like, in a couple spots, we got to see kind of like more of her punk rock sensibility, like in Rusty's dream sequence, and then also when they're in London, that was kind of cool to see that kind of show up. And I think in the in the Louvre sequence yeah. sequence as yeah. well, where they had like that punk song. The Louvre sequence does feel like a music video in a, in a few different ways, right? The, the the music and the jittery style and just the art and the editing and all of it. So yeah. I like that. It's just surrounded by the other nonsense. It's just, whew, okay. I don't think I have anything else to say about this movie. I know I, I, I wish that I did, but I don't. Is there anything else that either of you have to say about this before we come back next week for Look Who's Talking? One of my first notes was, cool, cool, cool. I hate this so much, and they haven't even left their house yet. <laughs> Excellent. Oh, you didn't enjoy the joke of them doubling down on the lighter fluid, <laughs> the charcoal grill? I don't think it even registered, to be honest. It, like, I kind of laughed when like it cuts to them sitting at the table and Clark is like covered in soot, but that was it. Yeah. 
Like, I knew what they were going for, but again, it's just like, uh, like I, I sort of expected there to be more, if that makes sense. That there was no, it was just like a, it was like a, you know, it was like Giant Dangerously, right? When the guy goes to the toilet and it explodes and he walks out charred and like covered in soot. Like, it's the same joke. Different movie, same joke. Once again, to no real effect. That movie was set up to be more of like a cartoon in the first place. So if anything, I feel like it's more in place in that world. Right. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah. Definitely not this world. This is set up to be, you know, reality. Uh, so, like, yeah, it is awkward for sure. Uh, they, they they slip some of that stuff in there. but Oh, a couple more things. Poster art was done by Boris Vallejo, who did a lot of heavy metal covers and I think, like, the Army of Darkness poster and, like, a bunch of other horror movies. And there is an extra that Amy Hegerling has used in all three of her movies so far. Oh, is it the I think I, I think I spotted him. Okay. Yeah. So I wouldn't have even picked up on this if I hadn't watched the director's commentary on Fast Times because she actually like pointed him out. And he's just like one of the students that she like pulled into shots a lot because she liked his look. And then in Johnny Dangerously, he is at some point someone's visiting someone in prison. I don't remember who or what or why. (laughs) But it kind of like pans along and you see all of these people like having those like weird phone conference class things and he is one of the people on the other side of the glass and then in this movie he's in the audience at the pig in the poke show he's like in the front row yeah i saw him in this but i missed him in johnny dangerously i'll just have to rewatch that <laughs> well he he has on like sunglasses and his hair is all different colors so he wasn't quite looking himself i also like when they're in rome and the daughter thinks that she sees her boyfriend making out with a woman that looked like amy Hagerling, but she's not credited as being in this movie I was waiting for Taylor Negron to deliver oh, yeah. things to the Griswolds at some point, but he never showed up. Yeah, like, are there, I guess now is a good time to to talk about it. Do you feel like three movies from the same director? I guess it's hard because she's not writing them, right? Like, But do they feel connected outside of that cameo, or does it just sort of feel like they're just disparate movies? Like she's sort of like a gun for hire in a way. Yeah, there are elements that I can see that are, are consistent. Like I said, the fancy sequences, I don't know if we got any of those in Johnny Dangerously. Well, the whole thing's almost like a fantasy flashback sequence in, in a sense. Yeah, a weird fever dream. Yeah, I don't know if I could really like articulate any other common threads, but there are like certain sensibilities that I can kind of see starting to form. Maybe they're not like fully there yet, but they're okay. They're coming together. Like, do you think that they're? Do you think you're seeing them because you know what comes like in Clueless and stuff? Like, is that? Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Okay, gotcha. I kind of feel like the first and second movie are kind of close, but then this this and the last movie definitely kind of feel like the same person would be asked to make them. You know what I'm saying? Like, they're more in a class together than Fast Times, which is in a class of in in and of itself right now. Like, that's way above. Oh, and the theme of uh, trying to get laid. They permeate all three movies. <laughs> it's true. Which sort of feels more out of place maybe in Giant Dangerously. The other two are just kids, horny kids wanting to get laid, but Giant Dangerously is just like a, a Jimmy Cagney type or whatever who wants to get laid. So, different kind of feeling, but, you know, same same desired result, I guess. I definitely get the sense, and I'm not 
exactly sure where this is happening, but I get the feeling that she's fighting to get certain things in there, you know, like definitely in Johnny Dangerously with like the cartoon dicks and, and that whole thing. Like, you know, that feels like, like a fight she won or something. I mean, and in this movie, I can't really tell where, but it just maybe like the Louvre scene or having a lot of like punks in, in the in the B-roll of like London and stuff, but like get the sense that she's trying to squeeze in more of her personality in these movies where they are more sort of for hire or she has less opportunity to sort of saturate them with her sensibilities. Another common thread is wonderful costuming. I mean, they're less so in this one because uh, it's mostly just Clark wearing a Wally World sweatshirt the whole time, but especially that scene when they are in Rome and they're trying on all the different outfits and like the outfits that they all come out in are just chef's kiss. <laughs> but I think that she has a, a really strong sense of like what she wants her characters to look like and sure i don't know if she like continually works with the same costume designer but i think that she is able to communicate with a costume designer and like get good results from it and i think there's nice little details about the characters like you know the brother having the braces or whatever it's a little detail that just shows the kind of like just the, the very specifically timed to be at that point in high school. You know what I mean? Like there's like little things that are nice little touches. Maybe I was just the actor having them. I don't know. But, you know, whatever it was, it feels purposeful in a way, which is nice when so much of this movie otherwise doesn't feel purposeful. Yeah. Give you credit where maybe you do or maybe you don't deserve it. But <laughs> trying to give trying to give her credit for the better things. Right. <laughs> trying to give props, trying to find good things to say about this movie. I mean, the, the good thing I'll say about this movie, Mike, is that I'd rather watch Johnny Dangerously than this. So, you know, I, you know, it's, it's, it's a little bit of a turnaround in terms of last week's episode where I was so down on that. If I watch that again, I'd be like, oh, yeah, like this is this is the good stuff. All right. I hope Mary Lou Henner never watched this movie. Oh, boy. Then She'd have to remember it forever. <laughs> Good callback. Go check out our Johnny Dangerously episode for that. I wonder if there's anybody listening to this who's like, who just love, I mean, if they love this movie, they probably didn't get to the end of the way that we're talking about it, but, you know, that found it because of this and didn't hear our Johnny Dangerously episode. I don't know. Email cinemakers at cageclub.me. Let us know uh, what you're, what's what's going on in your life. I had another one of those, like, I had I had the, um, the opposite wistful experience this time, <laughs> whereas with Johnny Dangerously, like, yeah, I was, I was still down with that one, but with this one, I'm like, oh, no. Oh, oh. <laughs> oh, boy, oh, boy. <laughs> what? I am not down with this anymore. You're not down with the sickness? It's a long, long, long way down this holiday road. It's a long, dark, and scary <laughs> road. <laughs> yeah, I, I, but I guess also in Wistful, like, Wistful's not always, like, Carol, what do you say your success rate is in terms of watching something that, like, people remember as, like, as rosy as when they saw it? Are more than half the episodes people looking back fondly, or is it, it feels sort of less than? I don't know. We haven't really crunched the numbers on that. I'm just going by gut. I mean, I, I guess I'm also sort of persuaded by, like, you thinking, for instance, that that, like Speed 2 is a fun movie than you watching Speed 2 and be like, oh no, this is not a fun movie. You know what I mean? So I don't know. I don't think we really, I thought it was going to be a fun movie. I was just like, well, it has a boat and it has Sandra Bullock, so we should watch this, obviously. Sidebar, I did just watch The Lost Boys for the first time the other day, and Jason Patrick, star of Speed 2, is star of The Lost Boys, and he's much better in that movie than he is in Speed 2. I think that was talked about on High School Slumber Party 2. Oh, really? Oh, right, because his half-brother is the other, is the brother in, in Teen Witch, so... Who is also the child vampire in Catherine Bigelow's Near Dark, which I also watched the other day. Yes! 
yeah. And who is a, another female director that we will cover on this podcast sooner rather than later, but yeah. Oh, I didn't answer your question, though. Well, you said you didn't crunch the numbers, so I just assumed that, like, I don't have an answer for you is what I what I took that to be. <laughs> I would say that I have been surprised that there haven't been more that people are like, oh, boy, you know, I think our nostalgia insulates us, you know, from the full terribleness of some things. Obviously, that did not happen to be the case here today, but it mm-hmm. uh, was the case last time we recorded about Johnny Dangerously, at least for, for Mike. Although I don't think that was a terrible movie. It was, to me, it was just like, okay. But like we recently did Hocus Pocus on Wistful Thinking. Jordan had like maybe seen it and I hadn't really seen it. And... So neither of us really had this nostalgic attachment to that movie. But it being Halloween time as we record this, people are going bananas about Hocus Pocus. And I'm like, what the fuck? Like, (laughs) that movie is not good. And it has so many problems. And it's like just like not a good movie and, and not particularly fun. But people who saw it as kids and loved it as kids continue to love it as adults and I don't know if they've seen it recently but yeah I don't know it's it's really a mixed bag I never know what to expect sometimes I think we'll watch something and I'll think oh man Jordan is gonna hate this and then she'll be like I loved it so much and like (laughs) my nostalgic attachment to it is like completely preventing me from even thinking about this critically at all so who knows what I've noticed, and this is more in line with wistful thinking than with this show, but I also, you know, talking about something that, you know, Mike had attachments to when he was younger. I get into arguments or discussions or debates or whatever with people in my fantasy baseball league about movies in, in particular. Take a drink. And take a drink. We were recently talking about the Star Wars movies and like Indiana Jones and stuff like that. And I realized after like basically pounding my head against the wall with these guys who love the movies that they love and like they're that like those are better than anything that comes out today. I was like, oh. Like, you just had, like, the six movies in your childhood that you watched a hundred times, and no matter what comes out, like, nothing's going to be better than Empire, or better than, like, you know, Raiders, or whatever. Like, that Crystal Skull, they say, sucks, because it's not Raiders or Last Crusade or whatever. Like, whereas, you know, I said, no, I literally just watched that movie, it's actually pretty fun. They're like, no, that's impossible. Mutt Williams forever. Mutt Williams, my man. You know... Shout out Mud. But it's this thing that, like, I think even if things aren't good, not I'm not saying that, like, Empire Strikes Back or Raiders of the Lost Ark aren't good because they obviously are good, but there is not only this thing where when you're younger, if there's a thing that you watch a hundred times that it becomes the greatest and becomes, you know, unassailable, but it also does this weird thing, or can do this weird thing, where stuff that comes after that, like, my friends, like, the, my one friend in particular hates The Last Jedi because it's not, you know, and I'm just like, no, but, like, objectively, like, from someone who honestly does not give a shit about Star Wars, The Last Jedi rules. Like, it's so good. Yeah, and for someone who who loves Star Wars, that movie fucking rules. So... And, like, it's just, you know, I was like, oh, I'm just never going to, like, when there's the, the franchises or the properties or whatever that means so much or that something from it means so much to a person, you know, I'm never going to win that argument. I'm never going to be able to convince him that, no, 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 Last Jedi is good because in his head, he's already got the definitive Star Wars rankings and these three are the good ones and everything else sucks or whatever. And so... But they may very well come to it on their own time, you know? It's true. Yeah, not everyone drinks the 
Kool-Aid. Some people escape the cult from time to time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, 10 years ago, I for sure would have felt that way about Star Wars. And now I don't really care about Star Wars anymore. And I can't explain it. I don't know why. But I just don't give a shit. And like part of that might have something to do with like all of the thousands probably of movies and TV shows that I've seen since the several hundred times that I watched Star Wars as a kid. But like also kind of this like progressive letting go of the entire Western canon that I've kind of had to do coming to the realization that like everyone is terrible. (laughs) You know what I mean? And I like I am partially joking about that. I don't. That's a. A blanket statement, but it's so much easier for me now to just not care as much. Like, so this past week, or maybe two weeks ago, I don't know, did we talk about this yet? They announced that they're rebooting question mark remaking question mark clueless we didn't talk about it on mic we mentioned it on facebook i think but we've not talked about it on the show right so a lot of people are upset about that as i've mentioned before clueless is my favorite movie i don't care i'm excited and i part of that also has to do with the fact that we have seen other franchises rebooted or remade or whatever and they're good you know i think for the majority of our lives that's not necessarily been the case when there are sequels or remakes or whatever they've been not great not always but a lot of the time and i i think that now that we have evidence that like in the right hands certain properties can actually be great if not better because they're more inclusive or more whatever so i don't know like nostalgia is a weird kind of tricky thing and i think that there's there's definitely something special about what you can capture not that you always capture on your show because sometimes you just watch things just to watch things for boatcast or for musical month or whatever but like when you are able to talk about something that means so much for whatever reason to a particular person there's something interesting no matter how that shakes out whether it holds up or doesn't hold up or you know suddenly you hate a thing because somebody in there isn't is a monster or whatever you know like there's, there's something really fascinating i think about looking back at art and just being or trying to remember you know when mike watched this movie before i was born and then watching it today thousands of movies later and just coming at it from a completely different perspective like there's something inherently interesting about that i think and also interesting given that we live in this time where the the majority well i don't know haven't crunched the numbers on this either but it feels like crunch more numbers that's what we're learning here you are not crunching enough numbers. i'm not a numbers person okay you know what you need to get me somebody who can crunch the numbers for me it feels like the primary driver of content at this time is nostalgia whether it is remakes or reboots or something like summer of 84 where or stranger things where it's just like ooh, look the 80s nostalgia porn right so i think it's like especially interesting to revisit it at this time it's a bubble it'll burst no one will care anymore and all of our shows will will die R.I.P. Kill your idols is what we're learning. Yep, definitely. Mike, any other thoughts about European vacation or nostalgia or anything? I think that was a a much nicer, better, more rewarding discussion than I anticipated going into this, you know, having just finished this movie an hour ago, like right before we started recording. I'm glad that we had this chat, even though it had really nothing to do, which is sort of, you know, it's one of those things where it's like inspired by true events. It's just like this, this movie inspired the conversation, but it had nothing to do with it. So any thoughts about either what we were talking about, Mike, or European vacation or whatever? Are we going to uh, get back to basic? And by basics, I mean babies uh, next week. Yeah, no, let's uh, on to talking babies. Why not? Why dwell in the past? Yeah. 
forge ahead into the future. Let us move ahead. Very, very cool. Kyra, any other thoughts about European vacation, I guess? Glad it's over. Glad I never have to see it again. Glad I never have to think about it again. Burn that passport. (laughs) Hell yeah. Canceled, just as the uh, Chevy Chase passport is in the beginning. Oh, there's another thing on IMDb that, Kyra, I'm sure you saw that, like, Chevy Chase had the idea to put the names on the passports at the beginning, which is fine as a cool idea, but he also, like, wanted to put his name first in case the movie was successful. But, like, dude, you're the only, like, you're the, you're the star. Like, why would you not be first? Like, why does that have to be, like, a thing that we talk about? I can't believe that he's had the career that he's had, which, never mind. This is going to spin us off on a whole other thing. <laughs> Fuck Chevy Chase is all I'm saying. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. For all things Cinemakers and all things Wistful Thinking, which we talked a lot about, and also Third Time's Charm, if you want to go check out today's episode of Christmas Vacation, which I don't remember much about, but I remember enjoying at least parts of, so I, I'm assured it's better than this movie. Is that true, Mike? Yeah. I had a much better time watching that than watching this. All right. No nostalgia glasses that time either. Maybe a, some holiday-colored glasses. You know, it's Christmas time, so that could have gotten in the way a little bit. But yeah, come check it out. Well, for all of those kind of things, like Christmas vacation today, go to cageclub.me, facebook.com, slash cageclub, and at cageclubpod on Twitter and Instagram. Email us, cinemakers at cageclub.me. Let us know what you think of these. Again, we are recording these ahead of time, but we will get to your emails. We will read them on air. Just say hi. We will talk to you at some point or talk at you at some point. I'm Joey Lewandowski. I'm Mike Manzi. And I'm Cara Gallo-Regan. And we'll see you next time for Look Who's Talking right here on Cinemakers. Goodbye,